Hello, welcome to Time of Death. I'm your host, Riss. And I'm Dee. And if you're new here, welcome. We are two nurses who like to talk true crime, and we like to focus on crimes that have a heavy medical influence to them or crimes that involve a medical professional as either the perpetrator or the victim. So, D, mm-hmm. this is episode 30. Wow, okay. 30. That's a lucky number. Is it? Yes, it's how old I am. Oh, I guess that's true. I mean, we we glazed over the 28, but it's still a lucky number as well. Because that's my age. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, I've been learning more about numerology. It's really interesting. What'd you learn? So there's like life paths. There's a lot of different symbolism behind different numbers. And like, it's like a whole, you could spend all day learning about, like, you ever look at the TV and you just happen to see 333? Yeah. I took a picture of that today. Why? Just, it's it's my lucky number, 33. 33 was always my lucky number. I stole it. What's your numerology number or whatever it's called? Oh, the life path? Yeah. I'm a 33. Are you? Yeah. All right. So then you get that number. Uh, when I was little, 33 was my number. But Th- then... That was also the number on your basketball jersey. That's true. We did... <laughs> I remember that. We, we did uh, briefly play basketball growing up. Oh. Riss had the most beautiful jump shot. She used to be like the skinny little tiny thing. I ran like a pony. Rowan. I still run like a pony. And you know, she also made states for hurdles. And she, the first year that she did it, and by far the most athletic of all of the children. Our brother did swim. So he did I don't know. swim, but he never qualified. I guess that's true. And you just went off the little pony right off the streets, jumping over hurdles. But also, there was like two hurdlers for our school. Me and someone else, so there we was, both made it automatically. There was still other hurdlers in the state that you outperformed. I guess. You have confidence in your abilities, because that was freaking awesome. I remember I did, so I did hurdles, but one time they were short, and they're like, can you like be part of this run? I'm like going to have the wrong terminology, but it was like a dis- long distance run. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do it with you. So... Of course, I'm like, okay, for short spurts, which was what hurdling was. Mm -hmm. I would run, jump, done. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) But now, but then, so I was, I think the last person, no, I was like second to last person in the run. So like you'd run around the track a few times and hand it off. And then you, the next person would run around, hand it off. And I was like. I don't know. I think that was my first episode of exercise-induced asthma because, like, at the end, I swear to God, I almost passed out. Wow, that's But really I don't know how <laughs> I, like, got to the end and I can't catch my breath. Like, I just could not get a breath in. And I collapsed. <laughs> I collapsed at the end and my coach was like, uh, are you okay? But I'm, like, seeing stars uh, at the end. Anyway, that's my two cents on why I don't don't do long distance running. But I'll tell you, Riss, she's downplaying it. But really, it was something remarkable to see you jump like a little pony over those hurdles. And the cutest little skinny little legs, long skinny little legs, little blondie. 
just like a little silly. <laughs> so Jimmy so and I, cute. we were going for a walk the other day and we like sometimes we'll race. Oh my God. On the track. And we got to a crosswalk and Jimmy like jumps from each like white part of the like the painted parts and he's like jump running across so i'm like okay i'm gonna jump run across the next one so we i do and jimmy's like i wish i could videotape you because you like glide looks like a pony running across the and i'm like oh my god i was so always so embarrassed by my pony run no i'm sure a lot of people would love to look like a pony when they run i do not resemble a pony I resemble a bear coming out of hibernation. You're a cute little bear, though. No. I'm Actually, that's not true. I'm a bear going into hibernation. I guess you're fighting your way to get to, <laughs> get to your little cave to hibernate. I don't know an animal. I mean, my significant other, there was something. I was running after something, and he's like... <laughs> he's like... Uh, are you okay? <laughs> I was like, no, oh, <laughs> I'm not okay. I don't run. I don't run. Even when there was colds, I would walk really, really fast. <laughs> the other day we had a cardiac arrest oh. and it was a patient that was already there in the ER and it wasn't mine, but I was helping out. So I watched <laughs> a couple of the nurses are running and I'm speed walking because I refuse to run. And then at the end, everyone else is running. So I like do like a hop. Oh, and I was pony. so embarrassed because I could just see one of the PAs was behind me. And I just know he saw me hop running. <laughs> That's so cute, though. You look so cute when you do it. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Well, you know that I was I so full disclosure, I'm, I started a new position. And on one of my first days, the patient AWOLed from the from the emergency room. And there was someone that were was supposed to be there. And I remember everyone was running and I was like, all right, I'm going to just walk really, really fast. <laughs> and I'm hustling. <laughs> and by no means was I catching them. I just did it for show. Putting the effort. <laughs> For moral support to the nurses that are really running. <laughs> yeah, you go. Get him. No, no. Uh, no. I was not catching anybody that day. No. But you you somewhat tried. That's what counts. I, I probably gave like a 48% effort. Not quite halfway there. So, D, mm-hmm. you know those nurses... You know, they're a little bit older. They got all the, that experience under the, their belt, 20, 30 years. Like, yeah. they've been through it. They've seen everything <laughs> that humanity is capable of. Yeah. And they just, like, take it with so much grace and poker-faced They also calmness. take no shit. And, they yeah, they take absolutely no crap from anyone. Mm-hmm. They're calm, level-headed. They just... There, you just know that if anything happened, they could literally run, run the ER, yeah. and I would 100% trust them to save my life. I know we have one nurse at the ER I work at that's been there 45 years, and she is like... Who is it? She's a triage nurse, but she gets, you know, she just will spot something, 
all right, I'm calling an alert. She just like arranges it all. It's like, okay, I like, I trust her so much. And like all these other, you know, like senior staff nurses. Oh yeah. So freaking talented and brilliant. I just, I can't deal with it. But this is quite literally the definition of our girl, Susan Walters. I've heard, I literally follow her on Reddit. So she went by Susan Kunhausen at the time in 2006. She was 51 years old at the time. She was an ER nurse, shout out ER nurses, with 30 years of experience. She was raised by an Air Force cook and a stay-at-home mom who divorced when she was about seven or eight years old. And her family just jumped around a lot, moving from Colorado to Arizona to California to Nevada. So she didn't really stay in one place for long for most of her childhood. Um, She did spend time with both her parents growing up, and she remarked that although they loved her, they didn't really teach her much about having a successful marriage. Susan goes on. She gets her LPN first, and then she gets her RN. And soon after that, she moves to Coos Bat, Oregon in the early 80s. And then she made it to Portland, where she stayed. And she started working at the Providence Portland Medical Center in southeast Portland, Uh, by the time um, 2006, when our story kind of takes place. But she was very fun-loving. She enjoyed life. She liked to go out to comedy shows. She was always sitting in the front row, and she would laugh loudly and often. She just thoroughly just enjoyed life and having fun. Susan's mother and her friend ended up putting an ad in the paper for Susan, and they titled it Someone Different. SWF, which is single white female, I had to like look what that <laughs> meant. SWF 33, overweight but not over life, seeks SM, which I'm thinking a single male, who wants more out of a relationship than just slender. There was one reply in particular that jumped out to Susan. It read, Hi, different. My name is Mike. I am a 39 year old. DWM, which I looked up and it means divorced white male. I enjoy most things in nature from wandering in the ape caves at Mount St. Helens to walking on the beach at sunset. This man was Michael Kunhausen, her future husband. He had grown up in Portland after being adopted by a couple. He participated in the Vietnam War as a switchboard operator per military records He did end up telling Susan he saw combat, but Susan was like, Mm. after she looked this up years later, she's like, eh, you were a switchboard operator, not so sure about that. On January 30th, 1988, the two spoke on the phone for the first time. She had a kitten-themed planner, shout out cat lovers, and had etched a smiley face and red pen on that date. That is a weird foreboding Yeah. Sense. Susan and Mike talked a lot before meeting up. Susan said that they probably spoke over 100 hours. Mm. And she recalls that he had a nice voice and that she was impressed that he wanted to talk about more meaningful things. Mm. So in February of that year, the two end up meeting at the Crystal Springs Rhododendron Garden next to Reed College. That sounds so lovely. Doesn't it sound lovely? A rhododendron. Um, Fun little story here. When I was about seven, me and my brother, we were dancing. My brother was about five at the time. And 
I had seen on TV that they put like a rose in between their teeth. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like when people are dancing the tango. Oh, I was there. I remember seeing the two of you tangoing and snitching on to mom. (laughs) So I had taken a rhododendron in the front yard and put it in my mouth, like across my teeth. And so did my brother. And then, of course, D tattled on us. Absolutely rude. And uh, my so my mom called poison control and then reprimanded us <laughs> for a while. But we were safe. We just had to drink a lot of water after that. <laughs> so anyway, the two are at the rhododendron garden, and they end up feeding ducks and squirrels and just chatted together. Their romance progressed quickly, and in a year's time, the two traveled to Reno to tie the knot. So I guess Mike really liked playing slots and Susan said, you know, marriage is the biggest gamble. Like, that's kind of funny. Let's go to Reno. So they end up getting married. However, their relationship turned rocky pretty quickly. Susan recalls that not long after the two married, there was no more hiking, no more going out. They just kind of got really stagnant. I feel like that happens in some relationships. Mm-hmm. I think it, you know, like it's so important to work it's in so relationships. Important to, yeah. So Susan started seeing that Mike was not a happy person. Susan said that his life motto was, life is a shit sandwich. And every day you take another bite until you die. So it sounds like he maybe was dealing with some depression as well. Mm-hmm. That's what I was just about to say. So, um... Mike started a job as a janitorial supervisor at Oregon Entertainment, which is a parent company for fantasy adult video, which I'm thinking is a pornography company. So a few years after they married, he started this new position. The two didn't have children. Susan recalls that Mike often chain smoked and would consume a ton of Diet Coke When Susan would go out, he would question her a lot about what she was doing. Mm -hmm. He'd complain about purchases she made, just kind of controlling in that regard. Susan also recalls as the years went by that when she would try to kiss him, he'd just burp. Which, (laughs) what? Oh my God. Uh, Anyway, so... It just keeps souring from that point on. In September 2005, Susan ends up kicking him out and Mike moves into his dad's house. The two had been married for 18 years at this point. So they are, I think, amicable, but she definitely, I think, is starting to veer towards the idea of divorce. However, although she kicked him out, she never changed the locks of their house or the code to get inside, which was 1210. It was an important date for the two. It was their anniversary. Mm. On September 6, 2006, so this is a year after, Susan finishes her shift in the evening. So she worked day shift. And then she drives to Perfect Look Hair Salon to get her hair done. And that day she's leafing through an Oprah magazine and she comes across a poem that read, I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear. After an hour, Susan's hair was all done. She's looking good. She makes her way home to her small Cape Cod style home in Southeast Portland. 
Around 6.30 p.m., she enters the house through the back and goes into the mudroom. Susan had actually asked Michael to watch her cats, and there was a note under the microwave in the mudroom that read, Sue, haven't been sleeping, had to get away, went to the beach. He also wrote that he would be back on Friday or Saturday of that week, and he signed the note, Love Me. And this note was him telling her, basically, I can't watch the cats. Like, I'm going out. I'm going Mm -hmm. to the beach. Susan uses her key to unlock the door to enter the kitchen, and the security alarm rings. She disarms it, and she walks to the front porch of their home to retrieve the mail. She flips through the mail on the front porch. She's just hanging outside for a second, and then she goes back inside. She's still wearing her blue scrubs, but she kicks off her Birkenstock sandals, and she stops for a second. What kind of ED is she working in for them to be able to wear Birkenstocks? I don't know, but <laughs> pretty cool ED, I yeah, think. Yeah, that is a pretty cool ED. I could just picture the ER nurses in their Birkenstocks and scrubs. You're lucky I'm showing up. <laughs> you know how many times I've said that walking into my shop? <laughs> you guys are so lucky. <laughs> You get what you get. Oh, yeah. You're going to like it. So she notices that her bedroom was especially dark. And she's thinking, you know, maybe I forgot to open the curtains or something. Like something isn't right. So she starts making her way to the bedroom when a man jumps out from behind her bedroom door. What? This man is about 5'9". He's about 190 pounds. He was wearing a blue striped shirt and dockers, and he had long hair tied back into his hat into a ponytail, and he was wearing a tan baseball cap. Susan notices that he's wearing yellow rubber gloves, and in his hands is a red and black claw hammer. So Susan is only 5'4". But she's stocky. She's tough. She had some prior injuries to her knees. But don't forget, okay, these ER nurses are scrappy. Mm-hmm. Okay? Patients can get violent in the ER. And Susan was all too familiar with de-escalation and self-defense tactics. And dynamite comes in small packages. Exactly. The nurses in her ER had actually been trained regularly in self-defense. She was taught how to get out of headlocks and other grabs that unruly or violent patients might put them in. So Susan immediately is like, all right, I got to get close to this guy. So she knew, okay, if I'm close to him, the swings will have less force behind them. So she starts like going right up to him and like getting in in his face. But he did end up landing a blow to her left temple right off the bat. But Susan is unperturbed. She starts screaming, who are you? What do you want? (laughs) He's still trying to attack her. Susan ends up slamming her body into his body in hopes that she will (laughs) knock him down. She's got some weight on him. Like she thinks like I can overpower this man. Hell yeah. But she didn't knock him down. He only staggered and he (laughs) ended up pushing Susan into the bedroom wall. And he actually remarks, you're strong. (laughs) Like... 
uh, I didn't realize <laughs> that you're a strong woman. I may have bit off more than I can chew. Yeah, he's like, uh-oh, this is the time when he realizes he made a mistake. <laughs> so Susan said this sent even more warning bells off in her head, and she knew for sure that he was there to kill her. Susan pushes him again and says, who sent you? He didn't answer her, but she actually wrangled the hammer from him and hit him three or four times in the head with it. I'm sorry, I should not laugh. And he actually wrestled the hammer back after this. Hmm. Susan's like, okay, enough is enough. She ends up grabbing his throat with her hand and squeezing his uh, airway. And she shouts again, who sent you? God. She keeps squeezing. She sees his face turning to blue. Susan gets a little bit nervous. She said she doesn't really know in this moment. She just thought, I, you know, I have to get away. Yeah. So she lets him go and tries running. And she makes it to the hallway before he catches her. He punches her in the face while she's standing. And then he punches her again and she falls to the ground. He's towering over her body, and she realized, I'm going to die. But she wasn't finished quite yet. No, Susan is a BAMF. She is. She really is. So she somehow managed to pull him down from standing to the ground to get that. She just knew, I need to get that hammer. So she gets him down to, to her level, and she starts biting him. And her intention behind this is that I'm going to die, but I want them to know that it was me he killed, that it was this man who killed me. She's like, they're going to see my bite marks. They're going to know my dent. They're going to take my dental records. They're just going to know that it was him. So she's biting his arm, his flank, his thigh. And she (laughs) even managed to bite through the zipper of his pants to his penis. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, forget, you know how, you know how Terminator, (laughs) send Susan, send Susan. So she didn't stop there though. While she was continually biting him, she also tried fishing a wallet or an ID out of his pocket. (laughs) So that she could throw it somewhere so that it was later found by the police. Like, I don't know how she had such clarity. It's that ED training in a time of panic. So she describes her actions as, I was like a downed power line snapping on the pavement. Which, that's basically what she, she was fighting, this woman. But I just cannot believe that her jaws were so strong that she bit through the zipper. I know. Part of his penis. That is like the. That's that adrenaline. That is adrenaline. She didn't bite it off. She bit it. Listen, I have TMJ. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I got TMJ. I I can't bite through there. I ain't biting through that. So, at this point, the fight had been going on for almost fifteen minutes, and it was kind of at a standstill. They were both stuffed in the hallway outside of the bedroom, and Susan, in a final badass act, threw her left leg over his body. She climbed on top of him and angled her left arm around his throat. Susan screams, tell me who sent you here and I will call you an effing ambulance. Uh, 
so sorry. I'm not laughing because it, it's just a very serious thing, of course. But I just kind of like, like, she's giving him so many outs. Yeah. She's, she's literally, she's like, just tell me. She's not so preoccupied with, you know, I just need to escape. She just wants to know who sent you. Yeah. I would tell her. <laughs> me too. But he made a fatal error by growling instead of telling her the answer. Oh, oh, oh. So Susan leans her body forward. She tightens her arm until he stops moving. I- so Susan takes the hammer. She runs outside to her neighbor's house. Her neighbor's name is Anne Warnock. And Anne places the 911 call. She says, we have an intruder in the house next door. The intruder was in the bedroom with a hammer. The woman who lives there thinks she may have strangled him. He was down when she left. So the dispatcher is like, uh, okay, can you put her on the phone? And Anne's like, she's bleeding. Dispatcher says, does she need an ambulance? No, not really. Anne's like, (laughs) nah, she's a nurse. She says, call an ambulance for the guy. He may be dead. (laughs) Dispatcher says, um, okay, what did she use on him? She strangled him? What else did she do? Anne says she put a chokehold on him. Dispatcher is like, I've got help on the way. Stay on the line. Anne, she has a hammer here. Dispatcher, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Just leave it there. Anne says she hit him in the head several times. That's the hammer he had with him. She struck him and she strangled him and she thinks he's dead. Dispatcher says, was he by himself? Anne says, did he have anyone with him? No. She did express concern. It may have been her ex-partner who sent Mm. the person. Mm -mm -mm. Makes sense. Police found the attacker's ID in the back pocket of his pants. He was a 59-year-old Edward Hafey. He was a Vietnam War veteran. He used cocaine. And he was a hitman. And he had a pretty lengthy criminal history, including the murder of his ex-girlfriend, Georgia Lee Dutton, in 1991. Her body was found in Ampkua, I don't know if I said that right, River, and spent nine years in prison. When he was released, he made it over to Portland looking for work. Michael Kunhausen had hired him at Fantasy Adult Video in July 2004 to clean the floors. Mm. Michael had hired him to kill her, paying him $50,000 to kill her using a hammer but make it look like a home burglary gone wrong. But Susan knew that it was not a burglary, that he was sent there to kill her. So Hafey actually left something at the scene. Susan and her friend Helen went to the house a few days later after the attack. There was a backpack that belonged to him that Helen noticed in Susan's basement. Inside was a container of Hershey's syrup, $200, diabetic pills, 
a paste up. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. A paste up addressed to Hafey and a planner. On September 4th, 2006, two days before the attack, there was a note in the planner to call Mike along with his new cell phone number. And this same cell phone number belonged to Mike Kunhausen. On the day of the attack, Mike had an eventful day as well. That day, he had driven to the coast and checked into the Lincoln City Inn. Later that night, he returned to Portland and purchased a revolver at the Silver Lining Pawn Shop. On September 8th, two days after the attack, Michael left a suicide note at his dad's house. It read, all I ever wanted was to be loved, and every time I had it, I effed it up. And then Mike went on the run at this point. On September 13th, five days after that, Mike was stopped in the parking garage of Kaiser Sunnyside Medical Center. He told the sheriff's deputy that he had gone there to check himself in. He said he had nothing to live for anymore. Mm. So the medical center ended up putting him on an involuntary psych hold. Eleven hours after this, however, he was under arrest for conspiracy to commit murder. In the weeks leading up to the attack, Mike had lost his job and he had nowhere to go. Susan had been making moves, one of which was listing her brother as beneficiary on her life insurance policy, and Mike was aware of this. Mike and Susan, when they had been living together, had paid off the house that the attack occurred in, and this house, Mike knew, was worth about 300000 So he's thinking, that house is going to be mine if only Susan wasn't around. Mm. Mike claimed that his alibi was that he was at the beach. He also claimed initially that he did not know Hafey, despite employment records. And then he switched to, you know, just because I know him doesn't mean I did anything. However, there was no signs of forced entry at Susan's home. And security records show that someone had disabled the alarm at their house while Susan was working. Mm -hmm. Mike claimed that he had disabled it while dropping off that note. He adamantly denied letting Hafey inside at this time. On September 18th, Hafey's former cellmate told police that he had asked him to help with a burglary. So Hafey and his former cellmate met up with someone to talk about it. That man was Mike, and he actually offered $5,000 if the two of them helped kill Susan. The cellmate refused. A couple months later, another witness told police that he had actually driven Hafey to meet someone who was bald at an Applebee's parking lot. This witness recognized the same bald man as being Mike Kunhausen. I mean, all crime happens in Applebee's parking lot. So true. On August 30th, 2007, Mike pleaded guilty to soliciting Susan's murder, and he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. That's it? Yep. 
Susan filed for divorce right after Mike was arrested. She ended up moving to a new house as time went on, which was surrounded in gravel so she could hear incoming footsteps. She had her gun license and she regularly did target practice, but she was always fearful and guarded. She was constantly vigilant. She was never able to fully rest. She also had a run plan and a will in place in preparation of Mike's release. She ends up suing Mike for $1 million simply because she didn't want him hiring another hitman to kill her, but she was always living in fear that that day would come. Mike was supposed to be released from prison on September 14th, 2014. However, on June 13th, 2014, Mike died of prostate cancer a few months before he was supposed to be released. Susan continued working as a nurse until December 2014. People call her a hero, but she struggles with that idea and also struggles with the fact that she killed another human being, albeit for self-defense. Hafey's aunt actually sent Susan a letter saying that it was not her fault and that they held no ill will towards her for doing what she had to do. Susan remarks, I didn't choose his death, I chose my life. She is now working as an advocate for victims. She says every year she celebrates in her heart when September 6th rolls around that she was brave enough to take a chance on her own life. Absolutely. And she wears a t-shirt that reads, you don't scare me, I'm a nurse. Yeah. Clearly nurses are not to be messed with. Hey, I said it once and I said it, I'll say it again. Don't mess with nurses. Don't do it. Don't do it. You may not live to tell the tale. So true. Great case. Good. I'll tell you, I feel like she is the kind of nurse that you want to like have on the same shift as you. Oh, yeah. I would love for her to be my mentor. Oh, yeah. I would like. Show me that you, technique. You can just tell she's a badass nurse as well as a badass person. Yeah. And the fact that she even called the ambulance, gave him so many outs, tried to like legitimately, uh, you know, keep it, give him his life. You know what? Like she said, it was her life versus his life. She knew yeah. she wasn't getting out of there. She gave him so many outs. She's yep. like, just tell me. Just tell me. I'll call you an ambulance. Mm-hmm. Just tell me. And she still ended up calling him an ambulance. Yeah. And now she says, always fight. You know, she spreads that message to other people, other victims that, you know, even though you think you might not be able to do anything, always fight. Absolutely. And you know what, too? Not for nothing. How many nurses have been assaulted by their patients? I'm not saying, you know, not many. I don't know how many nurses. I I would hope far less have someone uh, assault them in their homes uh, from a hired hitman. Mm -hmm. But it's something universal that I'm sure a lot of nurses can relate to is being attacked. Yeah. And, you know, we're at work. We're supposed to feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. The hospital has a tendency to just sweep it under the rug. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a newer nurse, I had a patient choke me with a stethoscope. And I was actively discouraged from filing charges against yeah. him. And it's just really unfortunate because it's not tolerated in any other workplace. No, it's not. 
Okay, we're going to call it. The time is 19.39. That's 7.39 p.m. for those of you who do not use military time. Yeah, you suckers. <laughs> and we are calling it. We're calling it. Thanks for tuning in. Great case, Riss. I you. loved this case. I think that Susan is my spirit animal. She's awesome. She's like... She's just badass. She's just did what she got to do. She's tough. It's a very tough lady. The eye of the tiger. Yeah. All right. The eye of Susan. Good night, all. Especially you, Susan. Have a great night. Love you, Susan. Peace (laughs) out. Bye. Bye.